2: You're listening to the locals on Free FM 89.0, Dan Armstrong Remember when tourism was booming, the country was raking in billions, and our main concern was well having enough hotel rooms and Pidongia needing a new public toilet. God, all of that feels like a lifetime ago with COVID nineteen. But while the borders have effectively been shut for eighteen months now, tourism has continued domestically and has powered on despite everything. To understand the state of things, last week I caught up with the Chief Executive of Hamilton and Waikato Tourism to see how things are going for the Waikato and more broadly. So let's crack into it. This is The Locals, and this is Jason Dawson. It's great to have you back on the show, Jason. Um, I suppose the first question: after the last two years, have you become an alcoholic?
3: <laughs> no, but I've definitely put on weight. I would say because of all the baking and the and the extra uh, delivery service of food. But yes, no. I look, I probably I probably would say I ha- we have drunk more than ever, um, and which isn't always a good thing. But it's it's in moderation. Um, but it's sometimes you do feel like at the end of a day oh, my goodness, what else can I really do? It's, you know, people are – and this isn't just us. You know, everyone's been working probably 12 to 14-hour days, especially when lockdown first hit. And then for the next 18 months, it's just been nonstop, uh, gruelling, raw, tough. But we have seen glimmers of hope. So that I think that's been the nice thing.
2: And I'm pretty sure when I last interviewed you in, what, 2019 um, – you know, everything was pretty great. If memory serves, tourism at the time brought in about 1.6 billion to the region, and we got roughly a 10% cut of that. Can you give us a bit of an idea of what the picture is today? So, yes, we've gone
3: from an industry of 1.5 billion um, to around 785 million a year. So, still significant, but look, we are out of the billion dollar range club now. Um, which is to be expected. Um, Although domestic was always our biggest contributor, so they were 75% of Waikato's market and also Waipa's, Um, we obviously are now 100% domestic as a destination. So uh, what we do see, obviously, is domestic visitors don't spend as much. You know, international visitors spend double the amount of a leisure traveller. But we are seeing Kiwis more than ever uh, with regards to visitor numbers out in our region. So, look, we are grateful Um, So compared to 2019, um, it it looked pretty grim. Um, But as of a baseline of last year, um, we've actually had an increase of 11% uh, compared to the first year where we came out of our initial national lockdown. So I think as a region, again, the golden triangle for Waipa and for our region serves us well. We still have 2.65 million people within our uh, three-hour driving radius again. So that serves the region well. Um, and again, unfortunately, every time Auckland does come out of lockdown as our number one market, we see those visitors pour over the Bombays back into the region. So still, um, yeah, not obviously great growth figures as we were talking about a few years ago. Um, but I would say at the time was right for the industry to hit a reset button anyway. So I think it was good in some aspects for us as a sector to relook at the way we do things and the way that visitors travel. And how are operators feeling on the ground now? Uh, look, it kind of varies. So some of our operators are having their best years ever. Um, you know, domestic uh, New Zealanders with with no other choice. You know, uh, Raglan has become the the new Bali, and Waitomo potentially is becoming uh, the new Cinque Terre. But there's still so much more um, to our region. So I think, look, some operators are doing well, um, but there are definitely operators, and I would pull out Waitomo Village particularly, that are not doing well. Um, They're just hanging on, really. International was around 95% of their market before lockdown, um, and now with this continual closure of our international borders, which again is a sector we are happy with, um, health comes first, so we do believe in the health choice to keep us safe. I do feel that um, they are the ones that are doing it hard. So look, we've got businesses that are not open seven days a week down there. Um, They're... Open limited hours um, and also limited days. Uh, they've had to let a lot of staff go, um, and really they're just down to the bare bones of operating a business. They're operating shorter tours. Um, it's definitely recommended you book now in advance because there's no way you can show up and guarantee you can get on a tour unless um, they uh, know they know to fully staff up during those
2: times, like school holidays. So yeah, it's um, it's a real mixed bag right now. Why is it that the domestic market hasn't bought into Waitamo for the time being? So we have, it's interesting, in this, it's the demographic
3: breakdowns. So what we do see is probably the 55-plus um, market have all been to Waitomo when they were children, or as a young family, they've taken their children there and they've never been back. So they, they look at Waitomo as only about the glowworm cave, um, whereas we know, uh, for those who live here, there is so much more to Waitomo. You know, we have 10 different operators down there Operating far different tours from blackwater rafting through to you know ab sailing or zip lining underground through to obviously the glow wound tour so for us it 's around trying to make sure that the average New Zealander realizes there 's so much more potential than just one visit um, and also some of the above ground activity you know there 's now a zip line tour um, company that opened a year before lockdown uh, there 's the holiday park there 's the Ruakuri natural bushwalk there 's Maricopa Falls there's actually so much more to do above the ground as well in White Tormall. So for us, it's probably more of a re-education of New Zealanders um, to understand all the variety of activities that you can undertake there.
2: When COVID kicked off in that first half of last year, we saw a lot of promotion about, you know, vis- visit your backyard, um, and there was a whole heap of advertising, does it do something new in New Zealand? Is there going to be a bit of a, a second push for that um to, to get people back into the backyard um you know some, come october november heading into summer yes look absolutely um look before lockdown new zealand has spent 18.9 billion going
3: somewhere else uh for a holiday uh so and the, they they would spend around 9 billion traveling their own country so for us we're already seeing the, the push from domestic where if international borders remain closed, New Zealanders will be traveling again this summer. Um, do something new New Zealand um, run by Tourism New Zealand and with us in partnership is going really well. Um, so we see that campaign with Tourism New Zealand enduring. It will run again for another year. Um, obviously, a big push around school holidays and the summer holiday season. You'll see the messaging this time of year is more around well-being, connection and just taking the time, which is really important. People are about to come into, we're into spring now. They've had a really tough winter. And again, just that sense of you know extra light in your day, Um, and just reconnecting with friends and family and with nature is a big part of it. It's all around wellbeing. So look, that campaign will continue. Um, This summer we'll probably focus more around events. We know that um, a third of New Zealanders will travel for an event to a different part of our country. So events will also feature quite strongly in this year's summer campaign as well.
2: Did we get arrogant assuming that the sector would keep growing and we'd work out the teething problems down the road?
3: Uh, I think there's probably two things as to why I believe the trajectory was probably unsustainable. Um, one was that there were areas, some hot spots in our country that started to emerge from over-tourism. And I am grateful for that, look, there wasn't many of those in Waikato. They were places like Hot Water Beach, Tongari Road Crossing, Milford Sound, Queenstown. If you were there in the middle of peak summer season, you were not only competing with domestic New Zealanders on a holiday, but with internationals. And it definitely degraded the experience. So I would say that um, that has enabled us as a sector to relook at um, what I would say again, giving more time. Um, and but with that time enables us to actually offer probably a more authentic experience. I think what's also given us an opportunity in our international-facing communities and areas to reshape to look at what else uh, domestic New Zealanders would actually like to <coughs> excuse me experience in their own backyard. So there were some. Operators. And again, we, we, we talk quite publicly about the effects on Queenstown and Southern Lakes because they were so international focused um, that unfortunately for many New Zealanders, there probably wasn't a lot of products or experiences that they could go to that actually talked to what we would want as the traveller, um, but then also potentially was out of their price range. Um, But we definitely have seen more New Zealanders than ever um, experiencing some of these places like luxury lodges of New Zealand, uh, going heli skiing um, and doing these money can buy experiences that, again, they would normally spend on offshore markets. So I think um, the other part of it is enabling us to look at the value and increasing the value of the domestic Traveler, because when things go wrong um, for any country, um, or global shocks or a natural disaster, um, what we do see is our domestic tourism market will see us through. So, I think it's it's around leveraging extra value um, and being able to spend that time resetting that. Um, but I do feel, as as a sector, there are things that work against us, and I think, look, tackling climate change. And carbon emissions, reducing carbon emissions is a key goal of the sector we've been working on for many years. But as we know, we've got such a wide geographic country uh, and without a suitable mass transit system where people can travel, New Zealanders and also international travellers, without having to um, create carbon during their, their journey is really hard because we still are quite a self-drive nation. Um, and we definitely see that with our international visitors. If, they, if they're not on a main city uh, air route, or able to get a train potentially commuting within cities, they do have to use vehicle transportation. So I think the future is definitely electric um, or hybrid with regards to reducing carbon emissions for for transportation around our country um, if you're a visitor here.
2: Have you or your colleagues been pushing for uh, improved public transport, even just more regular buses out of Raglan, so you can promote um, you and the family go have a, Go and have a day at the beach,
3: sort of thing. Yes, we have. Look, pushing what we would call leisure time schedule or family friendly schedules uh, are really important for public transport. Um, we've been a big part of the conversation around Tuhua. Obviously, the, our new rail trip to to Auckland has been built as a commuter service, but we've seen the popularity of off peak travel on Saturdays, where you know um, the is running at one hundred and ten percent. Uh, occupancy um, going to Auckland for the day. So imagine if we were able to offer a return service on Sunday. Um, we were able to offer a Auckland to Hamilton service, and then also offering off-peak during lunchtime travel, um, which is normally just like Air uh, e New Zealand's do, um, it's cheaper for us to fly uh, off-peak um, during the middle of the day when flights are, you know, normally only around 65 to 75% full. So we see the same sort of scenario being applied to public transport. Um, and look, in Raglan has, look, it was a real push to eventually firstly get workers to be able to live in Hamilton and be able to go out to Raglan to work. So, again, getting a good public transport system out there was really strong. But, again, um, different hours, you know, um, would be really good to try and drive and reduce um, the necessity of reliance on vehicle travel. But we know, look, it is, it's is—it's really hard, you know, to travel anyone, from to travel from Hamilton to Waitomo uh, or down to Matamata particularly, there, there aren't good public transport connections to those areas. There does there is this uh, reliance again on alternative modes of transport. Um, and again, cycling is a big part of it. Look, cycle ways, New Zealanders have had a renaissance with cycling. Um, we do push and lobby quite strongly for more um cycleways around our region to connect communities, uh, which is a key priority. But then also it, it provides some legacy infrastructure for visitors as well who might
2: want to do a two- or three-day bike ride around our region. Interesting. Uh, hey, Jason, we're going to take a bit of a break now. Uh, do you have a song pick you'd like to have played? Oh, a pick?
3: Whew. Well, of course, I would say, um, look, we've just finished Tiwiki or o Māori, um, Māori Language Week, and I do love the amount of New Zealand uh, songs that have been Uh, reimagined, I would say, in Tereo, and I would have to choose Party
2: Classic Slice of Heaven by Dave Dobbin, Um, and his uh, Tereo version would be great. You're listening to The Locals on 89.0 Free FM, and this is Dave Dobbin's Hane Ruhi.
0: Ranga Mahia te rehia Ki te toi maha te waerua Ko te ngututu pere mai ana Manawa Hitler, it's not
2: Here's part two of my tourism conversation with Jason Dawson. Jason, do you think some operators are getting just a bit too fed up with the lockdown? Borders have been shut for so long now. You had the Australian founder of Flight Centre calling for the end of lockdowns. Is it all just a bit too much for some people?
3: I don't believe that's really been the case for most of our operators and definitely not here in Waikato. For us as a sector, it was more around having a plan. Uh, And I think the lack of certainty and the lack of having a plan really put every business, not just tourism, events, hospitality, transport providers, um, even logistics, uh, really up in the air. So it's around access to markets. Um, so I think by the government releasing their four-step plan um, earlier, uh, and, well, literally only a couple of months ago before we had the latest lockdown, was a good step. Because what we have seen as a country, particularly is other countries around the world, of course, not having such a hard lockdown like we've had, but at least they had a plan. And we really just want what what we call tentative dates to plan towards. You know, tentatively, we might reopen the trans-Tasman bubble at the end of this year or early next year. And that just allows all any business to plan their scenarios. Um, What I did find is every business, again, um, tourism as well, we had to provide multiple scenarios on how we would plan uh, a hard lockdown, uh, alert level changes, and potentially trans-Tasman bubble or not. And I think that sort of scenario planning does kind of drive, um, it gets tiring. I think after 18 months of it, many businesses had kind of, we're starting to get a bit fed up. So I think, look, what we were experiencing um, was more around just, just having a plan. Because I think everyone needs a plan in a crisis. We all need to look to someone and we've we'll definitely looked to our leaders. And we just now need to understand the plan. And, and, and again, it will adjust and shift and move based on our health response. Um, but I think just just planning or having a plan, we kind of felt like everyone did that we're kind of running blind for a while. And we are we we have lived in this wonderful bubble. We're very lucky as a country, but how long is that really economically and socially? culturally sustainable. Um, and we saw that when the Australian borders opened open, it was just around reuniting friends and family. It's not actually around having these grand holidays. People are still quite nervous. They're being very safe overall. And people are just wanting to reconnect
2: with friends and family or uh, during crisis. So that's key. Are you concerned that um, hospitality staff on the front line are going to be copying uh, more abuse Uh, from those who don't want to get vaccinated or or follow mask rules and the like?
3: Yeah, look, I think we were all really nervous as a sector, business, retail, hospitality and tourism and events around the onus being on business to make sure there was compulsory scanning and mask wearing, Um, because very similar to vaccinations, unfortunately, we have people out there who don't believe in any of these um, measures that, that were put in place to reduce the risk. So you can't force anyone to vaccination. So for business owners to force someone to wear a mask or to scan has, obviously we were nervous of confrontations. What we have seen probably more so is this herd mentality or, uh, the community surrounding them actually pulling people up for bad behaviour. Um, so it doesn't always have to come from the business owner. What we've seen is customers that are there, they, they're the ones that are actually going up to someone saying, excuse me, you didn't scan him. Um, I don't feel safe. You're not wearing your mask correctly. Um, so we are seeing more of it being this community police or enforcement um, of the rules, which is really good um, because I think overall, whether you agree or not with what the government's put in place for us, it's more around the safety of others. People aren't, you know, people are quite happy to say, well, you can risk, take the risk with whatever you don't want to do, but we don't want that on me um, and my community or my children. So I feel that it's more around at the moment, others around those hospitality providers, retailers, who are actually um, helping police or enforce the rules.
2: Every time we have a lockdown Uh, As you say, we plan for it, we respond, we react, and ideally we learn lessons from it. Over these last sort of four, six weeks, what do you think the lessons you're going to take away from this Delta outbreak are going to be? I think um, we've all learned it from the first national lockdown and
3: it's just continued us to always be prepared. I think what we've seen this time is more businesses that were ready uh, when we went into a national lockdown um, and even families, you know, with their personal situations, we all knew what to expect. We all knew the supermarket drill. We all knew schools would close. So I feel that overall we were mentally prepared for what was ahead. And we now have more than ever the tools and resources to adapt and adjust our business models. So I think, you know, we launched Mighty Local uh, during the last lockdown and we obviously what we call uh, Started up again and rebooted it uh, during the last lockdown that we've just finished. And what we saw this time, because during Mighty Local, we promote more things that people can do safely at home to be a Mighty Local. Uh, And then at Alert Level 3, it was around promoting our takeaway businesses for our hospitality providers. And this time, you know, we were lucky to have, you know, counting on your hands the number of hospitality providers from TQIT to, to Matamata or even to Medimedia that would be offering any sort of takeaway or contactless delivery. Um, that completely changed on its head this time. Where we saw more hospitality geared up and ready. They knew how to do contactless deliveries, they knew how to do click and collect, or they also um, had a number of online ordering systems now which were available. So again, we just felt this time um, it was more
2: that we were ready to go and reboot. Uh, as soon as anyone listening to this can. Where would you recommend that they go and check out in the Waikato? Waitomo. Um, I think it's about taking a second look. Um,
3: if you've been there before, go back. Uh, there's so much more. And, again, it's not just about those who want to be the hard adventurers. We've got plenty that don't want to go underground, the uh, above the ground. There's even a beautiful well-being spa that's been established at Waitomo Adventures. So you can do a float tank or a massage. Uh, you could also, if you're a foodie, you can go to Huhu Cafe or the store or the eatery. Um, and there's just a really, it's just a really cool vibe. It's a beautiful space and a beautiful place. So again, go back to Waitomo, uh, rekindle your childhood memories, but create new ones.
2: Thanks, Jason. I really appreciate that you took the time out of your day to chat. And I can't imagine how much pressure you and others are under right now. Jason is right when he says things are still moving, and there certainly is plenty to enjoy. Whether it's taking the kids to Waitomo Caves during the upcoming holidays, or enjoying the Tiawa River Ride, which should be completed shortly. So, get out and enjoy the region. Just make sure that you're socially distancing, masked, vaxxed, and all of that. Right, that wraps up another show. You can find this and other episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Just search The Locals, and I'll pop those links up on the Den Armstrong Y Parking Country Facebook page. We'll be back next Monday, but until next time, thanks for listening. Cheers. Haere ra.